This comes out of Colossians. It's the very beginning, just beginning with the third verse. But, but there is an important element in here that I'd like you to see. One, I mean, couple. One has to do with what is the gospel and what does it do? And there is a level of transference that happens when we live this gospel out. A mentoring kind of possibility. And you'll see it in one individual in the scripture as Shannon reads. Hear now the word of God. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learn from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to God, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from God's glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to God, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Thank you, Shannon. Um, my dad has become a very private person after spending most of his life, you know, in the public arena, especially as a pastor. And so I wasn't able to share uh, that three weeks ago, Monday, uh, he had knee replacement surgery. And, um, you know, we were kind of dreading that, but I was dreading it not for the reason that you may think. You know, the surgery is fairly routine, uh, although, it, you know, it, it carries its own sets of struggles, rightly. I mean, it does. But it was because I was going to see my sister. And there has been, for the last five years, some significant tension with my younger sister. The reason being is I want to go back to the time where we lived in the other part of Bellevue. Uh, And my older brother was 14, I was 12, and my younger sister was 10. I'll tie this together in a minute, but we were very adventuresome. Uh, and, and huge risk takers in our family. You know, Dad was a mountaineer at that time and, and was kind of a risk taker. And uh, at the same time, you know, Dad was gone a lot, as pastors have a propensity of, of doing. And uh, my mom, most of her life, has she's been fairly ill, I mean sick, and often down in bed, which left the three of us older kids alone to fend for ourselves. Not a good thing especially when you have two older brothers and a younger sister that are really only about five years apart. 
So there came the day when uh, 14, 12, and 10, and St. Peter's at that time, some of you remember these days, where it was still portables. It wasn't, there was no building for St. Peter's. It was all in portables. And right behind the sanctuary portable um, was this probably 70 or 80 foot tree. And, and if, as, you're, as you're looking at that tree, off to the left are this incredible, beautiful set of, of woods. And the, the woods are kind of still there. They've been turned into a park. They're not nearly as dense as they were back uh, in, in the day. And, and a group of, of kids in the neighborhood that all came together. Um, and Rick and I, my older brother and I, thought, we need to build a zip line. So we went 35 up into that little fir tree behind the sanctuary and tied off a very rough rope and strung it down to the base of a tree probably 100 to 200 feet away, right at the base of where some of our tree forts were. And being the engineer that I wasn't and will never be, I thought that it would be a good idea to just take a set of bicycle handlebars and bend them a little more. And that would be what we'd use for the zip line. Being the way that we were also, Rick and I decided that we didn't want to test it. I'm sorry? I heard the word. Not just sister, little sister. And we put enormous pressure on her. Now, Judy was the ultimate tomboy. And, I mean, she scampered up that tree like nobody's business. As soon as she, and I had the, the handlebars up there, and let's just say encourage isn't the word that I would use of, of how we forced her to go up that tree and test this. You can see the fear in her eyes, and I can see it to this day. But the thing that I experienced more than the fear that we saw in her eyes was as soon as she put those handlebars over the rope and began to go, one hand slipped, and she went down 35 feet and landed on the back of her neck. Um, My parents never knew about this up until about two years ago. And um, partly, I think, because we, in our own inappropriate way, swore her to secrecy. That wasn't the only incident. And and what now is going on with Judy are the, the, the significant pieces of that injury that now come out at 56 years old. And she's had multiple neck surgeries uh, and is now constantly in pain. The the realization uh, about, I don't know, four weeks ago, which I'll talk about five weeks ago, was that I have never once apologized for that incident to her, ever. Or for the other kind of big brother incidents that happened when we were in high school, again, the three of us. Uh, What I will share with you is my older brother is, is, um, I don't know what word to use, is, is... kind of off mentally and was somewhat abusive when we were kids. And, um, and, and so in high school even, just some amazing, terrible things that, that took place in the basement of our house in Spokane because my mom was upstairs fairly sick and my dad was off doing superintendency things. About a month ago, well, it's been more than that, years ago, I was introduced to the person who would begin to serve as my mentor, very much mentor in faith. That all kind of came back about a month and a half ago. Um, and I'm reading of this young man, and let, let me just introduce you to him. 
you will find out very familiar figure. His name was Bernardone, and he was out of a small town in Italy. Uh, he grew up in the 12th century and grew up very much like I did as, as kind of a rowdy, risk-taking, partying kind of young man. The difference was he came from a very wealthy family whose, whose his father was a merchant uh, clothier, and, uh, and so he was, he was spoiled rotten. He could do anything, be anything, go anywhere that he ever wanted to go. Um, what that did was create distance between him and his, particularly his father, uh, seeing that as, as, as an inappropriate way to use money and, and all of those kinds of things. And, and yet there was a day, and a very long story, very short, there was a day for uh, Bernardone who, where he, he found himself in the middle of a field after partying all night and not being able to get home because of the drunkenness that was there. Uh, and it began to pour, rain. And he scampered out of this field and found an enclosure that he, did, he couldn't tell what that enclosure was. And he got into the enclosure and suddenly looked out up on the wall and there's a crucifix. And now what he found was that he was in the ruins of an old church. And as he is standing there looking at this old church, he hears a voice that says, Rebuild my church. And he takes that as he was a, a, he had some religious understanding and took that as rebuilding that specific church. He was very wealthy. So he funded the rebuilding of that small church. Then, as, as he continued in that lifestyle, suddenly he came upon a site that he had never seen before and was not aware of at all. That on the outskirts of this community, were four or five different colonies of lepers who were living in absolute disgusting poverty. And as he began, in, out of curiosity, to walk among them, the same words that he heard in that small church repeated themselves again to him as he's looking at this colony of lepers. Rebuild my church. He took that then much more to heart and decided that his unforgiving father, who had very little grace in him, was not the father that he wanted to follow. So what he did, and in the meantime, as he's kind of communicating this, his father puts him up on charges, which you had to do in Italy in the 12th century, in order to remove your son from any possibility of, of a future in the family, and it goes before the whole community and is overseen by a magistrate or priest. And in this case, it was a priest. And so there they are gathered in the midst of this community square. And the priest is there. And what Barnardoni does, as he begins to hear this call of God and believes that part of that needs to be the rejection of the richness and unhealthiness of his relationship, he strips down naked and takes the clothes and hands them to his father and says to him, now I will follow a different mentor. And it's illegal to be naked. And so the priest sees a burlap sack off and begins and wraps that burlap sack around this young boy, young man. And that becomes really the identifying element of this young man. His first name is Francis. 
the name that this new pope has now taken. Because Francis took seriously the idea of rebuilding the church. Not with power, but with servanthood. Not with overwhelming kind of charismatic power, but through humility. And it was that word that kept coming back five or six weeks ago as I kept thinking about my sister. So, and I share this with you very humbly, I wrote her a letter about three pages long asking her forgiveness for not being the big brother that she needed me to be. What began at 10 years old in the fall from the tree continued through high school and wasn't as protective as I needed to be and continued on throughout most of her life and again never once in any way ever apologized to her and asked her forgiveness for any of that. She received that letter a week before dad's surgery and was, did not communicate between then and seeing her at the hospital. I had no idea. But again, Francis kept coming back. St. Francis, then, kept coming back. And it's not about that. It's about humility. It's about asking that forgiveness, whether it is offered or not. As soon, and she walked into the hospital. Dad was in surgery. Mom and I were sitting there at Highline Community Hospital down in Burien. Judy walked in much earlier than we'd anticipated. We knew that she had to work all day, and it was at 10 o'clock in the morning that suddenly Judy walked into that waiting room and immediately, <laughs> immediately came up and embraced me. And then she said, Mom, Brad and I need to go have some breakfast. And we went and we sat in the cafeteria at Highline Community Hospital. (laughs) She used this phrase. And we may, if we have time, sing this song. Brad, this is a a day of new beginnings. Let's not go back to the past. Let's begin again. And I will tell you, It really wasn't anything other than having that mentor from the 12th century, for heaven's sake, to be able to see the need for these kinds of actions. And I I really do want to share this with you because I don't want it to elevate me at all. That's not what this is. It is an absolute humility that, that this came. What does this have to do with vacation Bible school? Everything. Everything. Vacation Bible school is is kind of a, a, a bizarre, not because of this setup, but kind of a bizarre thing. But what we have in vacation Bible school over four days, or five, depending on which vacation Bible school you do, is an opportunity to share with children what it means to be the church. The fact that in that place, these children can look up and see adults of every age laughing and dancing and singing and making somewhat, sometimes, fools of themselves. They see adults 
or those older than them, no matter how old they are. And some of our leaders were as young as 11. And some of them were a little bit older than that. But what they see are adults who are there for them to serve them. Time taken out of very busy schedules, then they may not recognize that, but they see the service that's going on in them. It is the church, I think, to a great extent at its best, and it's why I think it was important that we sing those two songs together at both services today. Because this becomes that opportunity for four days to become that kind of mentor to those children. And today there are all kinds of places where children do not have healthy mentors. I mean, you know my background, and I look at the gangs that, that, that I work with for a number of years. And the power within that is the power of relationship from an antisocial kind of way. That every research program I've seen can be transferred into a very pro-social way if we will engage in children and give them opportunities to learn the kind of skills and the kinds of things that you demonstrated last week. Suddenly, those kids are much less at risk for every conceivable malady. Everyone. You became their mentors last week. But it can't end here. And it's not going to. Over the last three weeks, now, two weeks ago, you heard Rachel Shannon, our new director of family ministries, bring her first sermon to Aldersgate. It was a phenomenal message. And just to, to reiterate, I, 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 I couldn't just hear it once, so I, I listened to both those sermons two or three times over the last week because I was so overwhelmed by them. In a nutshell, Rachel said, we need to reclaim this idea of family and reclaim it in the healthiest possible way and become mentors for multiple generations and particularly for our children in ways that will help them become much, much more healthy in the way that they choose to live their lives. But what sets us apart is we have that example of that ultimate mentor in Jesus that we need to center ourselves on and live as Jesus would have us live as loving, accepting, forgiving, grace-filled mentors to this next generation. She said that everybody in the church has a role. Everyone. And that it's when we come into relationship and discover each other's gifts, whether you're 11 or 5 or 99, that it's when we come together and explore those things together that, we, that the power of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit comes to play and it, the, the growth, spiritual growth that happens is exponential. It's incredible how that happens. But there's only one way, and that brings us to Laura last week who talked about the power of story. What she talked about was about the riskiest thing there is in a church, and that is to be honest about our stories. And and I have to tell you, I struggled with that message a little bit. Because I know what it takes to share a story. I've shared this much with you, and I'm shaking in my boots right now. I really am. Because just to reveal a part of myself that I'm not proud of, But it's in the sharing of our stories to whatever level we feel like we can that we learn that much more about each other. 
and become those loving mentors to each other because our lives are centered in Christ. And that's what unites us. The power of that is incredible. Dwight said last two weeks ago, let's as a church reclaim the name family. I got to tell you, I've spent almost a year trying to come up with a better name for the ministries that we want to offer. I haven't come up with one yet. If you have ideas, please share them. But family, in the best sense of the word, describes it to me. Everybody has a role. We have one that we're following as our ultimate mentor, Jesus Christ, who really is the ultimate parent for us, our guiding, loving, accepting, caring parent. And what it opens up for us, amazingly, is that we can come together and fail each other as I failed my sister, and yet confess that to each other and move beyond it and watch a miraculous relationship form out of that forgiveness and that reconciliation so that new beginnings can happen every day in this church. I hate to tell you this, and I've said this to you before, but I'm going to repeat it. You are, we are, the most diverse church that I have ever served. And one of the most diverse churches that I've ever seen. We have ultra-conservative Republicans in this church and ultra-liberal Democrats in this church. And you know what? You still talk to each other. Do you have any idea how unusual that is? And there is a level of love and admiration among you that I have not seen before. What we haven't done is take that into the community as much as we might. Yes, we serve the community. Yes, we go and we, we feed at Sophia Way or at Andrews Glen. But what if we offered opportunities for folks to come in and witness this as we help communities, this community, these communities, learn how to talk to each other with love and grace, even in the midst of significant disagreement? So here's what I'm proposing. I'll close with this thought. For the next year, beginning in September... For the next year, we're going to focus on one gospel for the year. The program year we're going to spend in the gospel of Matthew. Now, that sounds easy. I just want to remind you of the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount and the complexities of that. But what I will guarantee you is that every Sunday when this message comes, it will be relevant to your life and push us in ways that we need to all be pushed because that's what the gospel is designed to do. But we're going to learn this gospel together and take this journey together as we look at creating health not only in this community of faith but health in the broader sense of community. Everything I've described to you as I move toward this table, everything that I've described to you, are means to grace. What you did in four days was a means to teaching grace to these children. The reconciliation that happens us in, in our relationships is a means of grace, of remembering God's love. Every time we reconcile a conflict, it is a new beginning. And this table represents all of that. Let me cl- again, I'll close with this thought. I've missed preaching.
I really will close with this thing. The last time I was before you preaching a sermon, I talked about what it meant to be one with God. Remember that? A sermon on the different kind of aspects of atonement. And as we prepare for communion this morning, I want to go back there for just a second. If we're going to be one with God, guess where it starts? It starts in being one with each other. We have to remember that to do that, we look at our cross and we think of, as Rachel said three weeks, two weeks ago, we live sacrificially. Our attitudes are different than other attitudes. That we truly do live for each other. That's the beginning. Then what we do is I, I had the picture of Rembrandt's Return of the Prodigal Son. And that what we do is we confess to God those things that are allowing us to miss the mark with God. And we confess those places where we've hurt each other. And we confess those to each other. And that opens up the possibility of grace and reconciliation. And the deeper possibility of being one with God. And finally, it's when we look around ourselves, remind you of the visual that day of Mother Teresa holding this tiny little East Indian baby shriveled because of hunger. And we look around ourselves, even in these communities, not just beyond these communities into the world, but in these communities and the ripple effect beyond. And we find those places where God is calling us to change lives. And I mean change lives, save lives. Do you know that Dave Sanford's getting ready already to leave for Cambodia? It's not until October, but he's going to Cambodia on a Habitat for Humanity build for a week in Cambodia. He's going to change lives in Cambodia. And there's no separation. One is no greater than what you did for these 102 children last week. Lives were changed here. And love was shared. This is the reminder of all of that. This bread and this cup are the reminders of those three elements. Living sacrificially, confessing when we fall short, and doing for others, as Jesus said, who are in need, inasmuch as you've done it for the least of these. You've done it for me.